Welcome to the services of the Midway Congregation. This is our 10 a.m. worship service this morning. Thank you for being here. If you're a guest of ours, we're grateful to have you in our midst here, whether it's physically in our building or joining us via YouTube. We're going to go ahead and get started with our service. Those that will be assisting with our worship service this morning, our opening prayer will be led by Eddie Bull. Our singing will be led by Keith Gann. At the appropriate time, Mark Howell, the preacher here at the Midway Congregation, will lead us, or actually bring us a message from God's Word. He's not going to lead us, but he will be leading us in a study. And then to close our service out, Ray Huff Stutler will lead us in our closing prayer right before we dismiss for our classes. Again, thank you for being present. Let's enter at this time into our worship service. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all the blessings that we have, and we, we know there's so many that we don't even understand them. We thank you, Lord, for being our Father and caring for us, and, and we pray that you'll always watch over us. We know that your promise is assurance and hope. We know that... We look forward to a, to a time when there's no pain and no sorrow because you've made that promise. And we have that promise because of the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. This morning, Lord, we ask special blessings on all those who are suffering. We know that many are, are suffering from the ailments of this world. We're particularly mindful, Lord, of those who are undergoing treatments for cancer, for uh, Brenda, for Jessica Brown, for any that might be suffering from cancer. We are mindful, Lord, of the, of the plague of the virus that has invaded not only our country, but the whole world. And we pray, Lord, that it might soon be in hand so that, so that there won't be fear across our nation and across the world. We thank you, Lord, for your encouragement when we're down. And we know that during these times of, of having to quarantine and stay in and stay away from people, that, that sometimes we get discouraged. We pray that you'll bless us as, as we try to carry on with your word. We know, Lord, that we need to be active in, in spreading your word, and we, we know that sometimes there are obstacles in our way. We pray that they'll soon be removed and we can again uh, gather together without fear, that we can... Uh, approach others more easily. We pray, Lord, that we'll always be an influence for your Son, and, and we pray for the leaders of this world and this nation that as they make decisions that will be closer to your Word. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you will, please stand. We'll sing number 560. We'll sing the first and the last verses. I care not today what the morrow may bring, if shadow of sunshine or rain. The Lord I know ruleth for everything, and all of my worry is vain. Living by Confined, being in his 
service today. We're so thankful that you're here, glad to see you, and hope that you will enjoy the service that we have today. But more importantly, we pray that we can worship our Heavenly Father in spirit and in truth, just as we've been told to do in the Word of God. Now, if you've been with us over the past two or three weeks, you know that we've been talking about the balanced life. There's uh, an, uh, a statement that I want to read this morning. It comes from a Koi Fresco, who is a YouTube vlogger. That's one of these guys who does the, the YouTube videos. And I'll go ahead and say that I definitely would not recommend him for a lot of things. I've read some of the things that he's written, and he is far afield in regard to truth, in regard to a lot of things. But what he says here is true, and it uh, actually goes to, the, to what we're talking about in our sermons. Balance is the key to everything. And he goes on and says, what we do, think, say, eat, feel, they all require awareness, and through awareness we can grow. And so especially the first part of that, balance is everything. We've noted six areas that make up life's will that we need balance in, uh, the spiritual area, the family area, the social area, the vocational area, the recreational area, and the financial area. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about the spiritual area. Last week, we talked about the family area. And today, what we want to do is talk a little bit about the social area. That's what we want to spend our time on today. Now, as we think about that, we understand that we can't cover every aspect of it. And so, uh, please don't expect that. We made that statement with every one of these. But we will hit some of the highlights and high points of things that we need to remember in regard to our balance in our spirit, uh, rather our social uh, life, or the social area of our life. Well, let me tell you something that happened to me back in 1996. I was doing a wedding in Paris. Now, before you get excited, that's Paris, Tennessee, not Paris, France. But we were there. It was for a girl that I had met uh, in a business that I went into occasionally. And she had asked me to perform her wedding, and so I did, and we performed the wedding, or I performed the wedding, and almost immediately following the ceremony, the groom and some of the men who were there, groomsmen and others who were there, began to drink. And so Marlene and I hightailed it out. You know, we didn't want to be associated with that, didn't want that to be a part of something that someone would say that we would do. And as you look at that, as you think about it, you know, that's a social aspect. Even though I was there as the preacher, it's a social aspect. And so there are challenges sometimes that we face as Christians when it comes to, comes to these kinds of areas. And then there have also been times when there are people who are talking and maybe someone will be using bad language or telling something that shouldn't be said. And somebody will remind them, you shouldn't say that in front of the preacher. Well, I always think, uh, you know, maybe sometimes they'll apologize, but I always think that you shouldn't be apologizing to me. It's not me that, that you really need to apologize to. It's the one that you've been offending up in heaven. But again, in certain social settings where maybe you don't have a lot of control over what's going on, you may find yourself... And you may find yourself in a challenge in some of these things. But you know, as Christians, we all have contact with human society, don't we? 
There's really and truly no way of getting around that in some areas of our life. But when it comes to the social area, as a Christian, you know, it sometimes may seem that, that we have somewhat of a dilemma as we go through our life and as we experience these things. Now look at what is said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse number 9. The Apostle Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now that sounds, you know, pretty, pretty harsh, doesn't it? Not to, not to associate with sexually immoral people, that, that we're not to have uh, anything to do with those kinds of things. And so many people have put that into their mind and, you know, I'm just not going to have anything to do with anybody that might have any kind of sexual problem. But you can't stop reading in verse number 9. You've got to go on to verse number 10 where the Apostle Paul goes on and says, Not at all, meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, of course, what Paul is talking about is disciplining the one who is a part of the church, and he has in mind a particular man who has uh, committed some sexual sins, and there, rather than disciplining him, they are uh, 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 applauding themselves for being so accepting and so loving, I guess you might say, in that situation. But as you look at it, and you see those kinds of uh, things that are said, we can't get completely away from sin in our world. He said if you do that, you'd have to go completely out of the world. But you know what? This morning, Jesus doesn't necessarily want us to go out of the world. Okay? Paul said not at all meaning the sexually immoral and goes on there, but Jesus doesn't necessarily want us out of the world in general, as Paul said that we would have to do. Look at John chapter 17 at verse number 15, this is the prayer that Jesus is praying on the night before his crucifixion. And in that prayer, talking about his apostles in particular at that time, but that prayer also extends to you and me today. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And so God, uh, Jesus is not asking the Father to, to somehow take Peter, Andrew, James, and John and and set them aside out of the world, take them out of the world. But he does want them to be protected, as it were, from the influences of, of evil that is in the world. Okay. Now what if God had taken Peter and Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, all of the apostles, what if he had taken them out of the world? How would Christianity have spread? Who would have preached the first gospel sermon? If those who had been followers of Christ had all been taken out of the world, who would have been left in order to help to spread the good news of the gospel of Christ? And so, as it is, Jesus doesn't necessarily want us out of the world. And so, because of that, we understand that we must have some balance in the social aspect, the social area of our life. Now... Let me suggest to you a couple of things this morning that we need to, to know and to remember. Number one this morning, to maintain balance in the social area, Christians must remember who they are. We have to remember who we are. Now look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And there Peter writes and says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. As you look at this passage, there's something there that talks about who we are. Now, if I were to ask each one of us the question this morning, I, and I said this, who are you, if you get beyond giving me your, your name and, and uh, you know, you might say something like, well, I'm a Christian. When I say, who are you, 
Many would respond, well, I'm a Christian, especially in the context of what we're talking about here. But even beyond that, I think there's something that that we need to remember. Who are you as a Christian? Who are you as a Christian? And that's what Peter's telling us here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He's telling us who we as Christians are in this world. Now again, notice that he says that we are sojourners here in this world. What is a sojourner? If I ask you to define the word sojourner, how would you do that? Well, the word simply means a temporary resident or a stranger. A temporary resident or a stranger. Look at the book of Acts chapter 7 at verse 6 where this same term is used. The Bible said, and God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. Now, if you remember the context of what is being said here in Acts chapter 7, you know that Stephen is talking about Abraham and his descendants. And they were slaves for over 400 years, as it were, in the land of Egypt. But notice what, by inspiration, Stephen says, and by inspiration, Luke writes. God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners. They would be temporary residents. They would be strangers in the land of Egypt for all of those years, for those 400 plus years. And so when we look at it, we understand that they didn't stay there all, all of the rest of the time. They were led out by Moses and they went to the promised land, but it wasn't really where God intended for them to be. He had promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob what we call the promised land, but they were sojourners in the land of Egypt. But then he also says there in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, that we are exiles. We're exiles. We're strangers, or rather sojourners and exiles. Now, what is an exile? Well, this word translated exile is, is, is pretty uh, interesting when you look at it. It's really a combination of three words. There's three parts to this particular word that's translated exile. The first word, first part of it simply means beside. The middle part means simply upon. And the last part of the original word means a strange people. And so literally what we're talking about when we're talking about an exile is one who is dwelling alongside those of a strange land. We're dwelling along, we're sort of like the sojourners, but in a little bit different aspect of it, we're living beside those people who are in a strange land. In other words, it's not really our homeland, like the first word, but we're not really like the people that uh, are occupying the land that, uh, that we're at that point living in. And so a person who, it, it's a person who for a period of time lives alongside others it is uh, in a place which is not their normal residence. That's what the idea of exile is. Now look at First Peter chapter 1 at verse number 1. The Bible says, Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles. Notice he uses a word there. Elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. <clears throat> That's who Peter is addressing his letter to. The elect exiles. Now, why were these people exiles? Well, they had been run from their homes in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area, Judea. And they had spread to the uttermost parts of the earth, as it were. And so now, if you remember anything about the book of Acts, you, you know that, that people were being persecuted. And because of that, they had to go to different places. And that's who we're reading about here. And Peter is talking about how he's writing to these uh, elect exiles, these Christians who had to move away from their own physical home here on this earth. But that's what we are as Christians. We are exiles here on this earth. Now, in order to help us understand that, we need to remember that we're like Abraham 
who look for a heavenly land. We're looking for a heavenly land. We're looking for something other than what we have right here. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, the Bible says this, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Now, who are these? Well, if you go back to the previous couple of verses, you'll understand that he's talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and he even mentions Sarah alongside those. He said, These all died in faith, not having received the things of promise, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth, uh, there's the terminology that's used of Christians, when they realized that they were strangers and, and exiles on earth, he goes on and says, For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, back in Ur of the Chaldees, remember? If they had been thinking about that, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Did Jesus not say on the night before His crucifixion when He was talking to His apostles that I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also? John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. Did Jesus not say that? Yes. We know it's there. We believe in Jesus. We believe in heaven. But we have to believe in it enough as a Christian to live my life saying, that's my home. That's where I'm going. That's where I want to be. Not down here on this earth. Until I realize that, until I understand that, until I make that a part of who I am, I'm going to continue to have a problem when it comes to my social area in my life down here on this earth. I have to remember who I am. We must realize that this world is temporary while spiritual things are real and they're eternal. I have to do that. You have to do that. Every single one of us has to do that or our social area in our life is going to be out of balance. Number two this morning, as we think about the idea that we're presenting in regard to the social aspect or the social area of our life, to maintain balance in the social area, Christians must remember how to live in relation to the world. We have to remember who we are, but we also have to remember how we're to live in relation to the world. Now, how is it that I am to do that? Well, according to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 12 that we read just a few minutes ago, Peter said, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. As I live here on this earth and I interact with other people, I have to remember to keep my conduct honorable. Now, what does it mean to live an honorable life. You say, well, I know what the word honorable means. If, if I were to go to the dictionary, I would see that the dictionary defines the term honorable as deserving of respect or high regard or deserving simply of honor. That's what the, that's what the dictionary definition of honor is or honorable is. But when we look at the word that's used in the New Testament, that word simply means good. That, mean, that word means virtuous. That word means beautiful. We're to live a good life, a beautiful life in front of others. Now let's see how this word is used in other passages in the New Testament. In the book of Matthew chapter 5, at verse number 16, the Bible says, In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your... Notice I have highlighted that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's our word translated honorable back over here in the book of 1 Peter. It's translated good here. The word works is added to that. But Jesus said in shining our light before men, they're to see our good works that glorify God. 
Okay? But good works. That's honorable. Living, doing good things. Here's another, Matthew chapter 26 at verse number 10. Talking about Mary who had anointed Jesus with this expensive perfume. This box of, uh, was, was contained in an alabaster uh, uh, flask. Jesus said, but uh, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. Again, there's the word translated honorable over here in the passage that we're studying. But what it was, if you remember, Jesus goes on and says, She has anointed me for my death. Okay, But she has done a beautiful thing, an honorable thing. Now when you think about living your life in front of other people, people need to look at you and say what? There is a good person. Why? Because he or she does good. And they look at your life and they say, what a beautiful life that he or she is living. And you know what that makes? That makes that person want to have the same kind of life that you're having. Or at least it should. Some people's consciences are so seared that they can't even begin to imagine having a, a life as a Christian because they've got so many other things that, that they're attracted to. But when they see the life of a Christian, they should say, that's a beautiful life. Here's another passage, Titus chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Now there's our word again, translated good here, but there's more to it there in this passage than that. To be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. In what Paul writes to Titus, he sort of elaborates on that good works and that good teaching kind of thing, we're to have integrity in our life. We're to have dignity in our life. We're to have sound speech in our life. And all of these things so that nobody can really find any bad thing to say about us. When they want to point their finger and accuse us, all they can say is, well, he has done good. Now, does that mean that they actually are saying, well, he or she is doing good and, and they're trying to give a compliment? Now consider what's happening in our world today. When people speak out against Christianity, a lot of times they speak out about why Christians are bad because they stand against that which is bad. And those who are in the world think the bad things are good and the good things are bad. But even if they are not paying us a compliment... When they speak out against us, the things that they say about us, when it stands before God in God's courtroom, it ought to all be good. Whether people recognize it down here or not, when we stand before God and people have said these things trying to accuse Christians of being bad people, God will say, that those folks are my people. Those folks are doing what I said. And so they really have nothing bad, nothing evil to say about us. And so Peter says that we're to live honorable lives. Carrying on with that a little bit, uh, notice in 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 12 again, this is our passage that has the word honorable. That word translated honorable is used twice in that passage. Again, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Good deeds. Honorable good deeds. And so, again, in this passage, it just goes to show what we've been talking about. Look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Paul wrote, walk in wisdom toward the outsiders. Outsiders are those who are not Christians. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 
Again, when we're trying to live honorably among others, have a beautiful life, a good life, which no one can say bad things about, one of those things that uh, is required, according to the Word of God, has to do with our speech. Now that doesn't mean literally the spoken word, it could mean the written word, what we write, what we say. And so in our day and time, not only do we have to be careful when we're talking, literally speaking, you know, pronouncing words from our mouth, but we also have to be careful in things like social media and other places where people will see, read what we have to say. We need to allow our speech. Our speech must be always gracious, seasoned with salt. Have you ever thought about that in regard to your social life? That's what Peter has told us. Our life has to be honorable, but Paul is telling us a little bit about that life. Here's another passage that you might look at. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Paul says, And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we have instructed you so that you may walk properly before the outsiders and be dependent on no one. Again, Paul talks about the outsiders, those who are not Christians. But as we walk among those who are not Christians in a social setting, wherever that might be, he said we're to aspire to live a quiet life. That doesn't mean that we never say anything, or, or at least we say it with a whisper. That's not what that means. How many people, even Christians, have you seen whose lives are nothing but chaos? Chaos. Well, that's the opposite of being quiet, isn't it? When you have that chaos, you've always got that uh, something going on in your life that, that, that just keeps you in an uproar. Uproar, that's the opposite of living a quiet life, isn't it? When, when, when someone or something is always on our nerves and we're always complaining about it and we're always arguing or fussing about it, that's the opposite of living a quiet life. Paul said we're to aspire to live quietly, to mind our own affairs, and, and, and to work. One of the things I think that is lacking in our nation in particular right now is the fact that people don't want to work for what they get. Now, I'm not saying that wholesale, not, not everybody, but there's a generation, it seems, that has been brought along that that have been taught that I can be given everything and, and everybody owes me, why do you hear all the socialism that's being promoted in our world today, in our nation today? Take from those who are working to give to those who are not working? We've got to set the example as those who work with our own hands. That's a part of living honorably. That may be that even some who are Christians are falling prey to what's being taught in our nation today, what's being clamored for in our nation. And some may say, well, you know, it's a good thing to be able to help those folks. That's not what God said. God said we're to work. And Paul would say that we're to work. If we don't work, that we, then we don't eat. But here it is to set the right example. Notice before those who are outside in our social settings where people are observing us, we're to work so that we can act properly toward those who are outside. So there's a lot that's involved in the social area, the social aspect of our life. Let me read to you a couple of paragraphs from uh, a work that was written in the 2nd century A.D. It comes from the epistle of Diognetus, talking about Christians in the second century. Yet while living in Greek and barbarian cities, according as each obtained his lot in following the local customs, both in clothing and in food and in the rest of life, 
Christians show forth a wonderful and confessedly strange character of the constitution of their own citizenship. They dwell in their own fatherlands, but as if sojourners in them. They share all things as citizens and suffer all things as strangers. Every foreign country is their fatherland, and every fatherland is their foreign country. They marry as all men. They bear children, but they don't expose their offspring. What does that mean? In that time, in order, if they found a child or... Sometimes if it was a female child, what they would do is just put it outside so that it would die. Well, that sounds a whole lot like our abortion kind of thing today. They don't expose their offspring. They offer free hospitality but guard their purity. Their lot is cast in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their time upon earth, but they have their citizenship in heaven. They obey the appointed laws and they surpass the laws in their own lives. Again, that's from a a work that was written in the 2nd century A.D. We're talking about something some hundred years or so after Jesus Himself walked the earth. And Christians in that day, it's describing how they live. They're part of the world, but they're not of the world. They live in the world... And they interact with the world. They have these social interactions with the world. But they still act like followers of Christ. They still act like Christians. That's how you and I, that's how we are to live. Now understand this. Paul says that we're to live separate from the world. We're to live lives separate from the world. In uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, or rather chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, Paul would say, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling place among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. Now he said, be separate from them. Preacher, you said a minute ago that, that we're to live among folks. Yes. But we're simply emphasizing what we've already learned. Even though we're among people, we still must be separate. See, it's sort of the thing that I said at the end of that reading from the Epistle of Diognetus. They lived in the world, but they lived as Christians, as followers of Christ. There has to be a distinction in the life that we live from the life that other peoples live. But some have separated themselves so much from the world that there's little or no interaction with it. And that's not what the passage means. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about this social aspect. Look at the book of first, or rather Luke chapter 5, verses 29 through 32. And Levi, Levi is who we know as Matthew, Levi the publican, Matthew the publican, the one Jesus called to be one of his apostles. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples, saying, Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. As I examine my life, my social life that I have here in this world, I can't be so separate that I do not interact with the world. For you see, we can be with sinners, but not like them. We can be with sinners, but not like them. If Jesus was eating with the sinners, and Jesus never sinned, was Jesus like the sinners? No. 
Was he with them? Yes. And that's what our social aspect of life must revolve around. But here's, a, here's an added aspect that I think we need to remember as well. Our social interaction with others ought to have as its goal the salvation of a soul. The salvation of a soul. When we're interacting with other people, we're to have as our goal the salvation of their soul. Well, you see, we're to love the lost. We are to love the lost. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 10 at verse 1? Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, talking about Israel, is that they may be saved. Every, every person that I'm interacting with who's outside the body of Christ, I ought to have as my goal to reach that person, to save their soul. Jude verse 22 says, And have mercy on those who doubt. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win more of them to the Jews. I became a Jew in order to win Jews to those under the law. I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul, when you interacted with people, what was your goal? To save them? To save their soul? And he said he became weak like the weak. He became a Jew like the Jew. Now, Tyndall in their commentary says this. He sums it all up with, I have become all things to all men. This does not mean, of course, uh, that his conduct was unprincipled. On occasion, his principles led him to follow courses of action in the teeth of strong opposition. But where no principle was at stake, he was prepared to go to extreme lengths to meet people. Personal considerations are totally submerged in the great aim of by all means saving some. Every single social setting that we as Christians live in, within that area of our life, we ought to have it as our goal to seek to save those. It's not like we have some kind of ulterior motive. You do know what the word ulterior means, don't you? The word means being beyond or what is seen or avowed intentionally kept concealed. We certainly shouldn't be concealing the fact that we're Christians. And it is the mission of every Christian to bring others to Christ. That's our mission. Good friends, as we look at this, our social life, we have to, we have to live like Jesus. But Jesus set an example of being sociable. He attended a wedding at Cana of Galilee, and as we noted, he ate with publicans and sinners. And surely the Son of God, if he was being sociable with other people, then we should as well. No wonder Paul would write, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 at verse 2, the Bible says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. The question really is, how sociable are you? Now, obviously, the COVID pandemic has, has hindered our social life, but do you take time to be with people? The social area of our life is important. We've got to remember who we are. We've got to remember that we are, how we're to live in front of folks, but it's important. Do you take time to live to be, uh, with people? Can you even imagine Jesus coming to the earth and intentionally separating and segregating himself from the people that he came to save? That Jesus came down here and never had anything to do with anyone. 
I can't. And I want to be like Jesus. Don't you? As we close this morning, it may be that you need to align your life with Christ, to put Him on in baptism, to have your sins washed away. It may be that you need to come back to Him for whatever reason it might be. If we can assist you this morning, why don't you come right now as we stand, as we sing. Have you been through Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washing the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washing the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood of the Let's give thanks for the bread as we prepare our minds to share in the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> our Father, we thank you. We thank you for providing a sacrifice for us, a sinful people. We thank you for this bread. And as we eat this bread, let us be reminded of that body of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The suffering and agony that he went through on the cross. Again, we thank you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let us give thanks for fruit of the vine. Father, in our study of your word, let our minds go back to the crucifixion of our Savior. lived a perfect life and he died and shed his blood for all men give us strength to be stronger let us never forget the fact that he shed that blood for us 
As we drink this drink, we give you thanks. In the name of Christ, amen. This time, let's go to God in prayer and thank Him for the way He's blessed us, keeping keeping in mind that we're to return to Him in a manner that we've been prospered. Let us pray. Father, we we live in a great country. We might not understand why we're blessed maturely and physically. Other, better than people of other countries. But we thank you. We thank you for the material things that we can accumulate. Let us never forget that you on the earth and everything in it. As we contribute to your work, let's do so with a a pure heart, a heart that loves you and our Savior. And through our Savior we pray. Amen. Mark, thank you so much. We're grateful to you for yet another good lesson. Continue to remember those in the bulletin, those that are on the prayer list. And that reminds me, if you haven't picked a bulletin up yet before you leave the building today, make sure that you pick one up so that you can look at the names of those that are asking for our prayers. Of course, we all receive those texts as well, but keep them in your prayers. Uh, there's also two additions here, uh, modifications more or less. Uh, Tommy Fields, now this is husband of Gil Gillett, is now at Ridgeview, and he's undergoing therapy. And also, uh, Tommy Caldwell, this is stepfather of Jeff Harbison, has already had some tests, and he's going to have some more tests, and he's having some liver issues. And those two are asking for our prayers, as well as all those in the bulletin, those that are battling COVID, those that are battling cancer. Keep them in your prayers. Thank you so very much for being with us this morning. We're going to have our uh, closing prayer in just a moment, and then after we have our closing prayer, we will all be dismissed to our classes. Remember that there will be two bells. The first bell is for the teachers to more or less wrap your lessons up. And then the final bell, that means that you are dismissed from our worship service this morning. Make your plans to tune in at 5 o'clock this afternoon to hear another lesson from God's Word that Mark will be bringing via YouTube. And also make your plans to be back this coming Wednesday at 6.30 for our midweek Bible study. Hopefully the weather will be a little more cooperative, and we'll be able to assemble in the building because we weren't able to do so this past Wednesday because of bad weather and tornadoes. But thanks again for being present at this time. If Ray will come forward and dismiss us, and then after that, you are dismissed to your classes.
Let's pray. Our Lord our God, our Father, thank you for this hour that we are together to worship you. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the freedoms we enjoy. Heavenly Father, thank you for the lesson of the hour. We need these lessons and to reveal your word to us that we may apply these things to our lives. Heavenly Father, continue to bless us in your service that we may conduct ourselves in our day-to-day life in a way that be pleasing unto you. Heavenly Father, at this time we want to be mindful of those and pray for those that are ill, and especially Amber Gilliland at this time. We pray that you'll continue to bless her as she recovers from her illness. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll also bless the doctors and nurses taking care of her and those that are also taking care of all of us at, at, in our time of need when we are ill, that they will do those things that are best for our condition at that time. Heavenly Father, help us go throughout our life striving to worship you, to serve you, and do those things that would draw others to you. Heavenly Father, for we know there's many temptations and many powers and influences out there that are against us. Heavenly Father, continue to bless us throughout this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.